0: listeners, it's for another episode of the Slump Buster Podcast. I'm your host, Juju Talk Sports, joined of course by Kyle Leber On today's episode, we talk the surprise return of Andrew Luck. We talk the NFL head coaching vacancies. We preview the NFL playoffs. But before we get into the folks, I need you to like this video. I need you to leave a five-star review on iTunes. I need you to subscribe to our channel. And most importantly, I need you to sit down, bust a slump, and enjoy the episode. Welcome in Slump Busters. What a wild week in sports we are coming off of and a wild week of sports we have yet to go. Georgia is a national champion. Andrew Luck is alive and well with a mustache. We have multiple head coaching vacancies and AB is now hanging out with Kanye. Oh, and let's not forget we have playoff games this weekend. So, tons of headlines right there in itself. Kyle, where do you want to start?
1: Where do I want to start? Uh do I want to laugh at the teams that I've had beef with for about 4 years and I'm always right because they're the most mediocre franchises in football, aka the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, and the Chicago Bears who now all have coaching vacancies and or general manager vacancies available cuz those franchises are quite terrible. That was the victory lap I was taking. But no, I, it has to be Andrew Luck because uh, I have done, this is true, in the past two years of recording the Take It Easy podcast, I have done 16 different full podcasts on Andrew Luck because I find Andrew Luck to be the most fascinating character that has existed in this little weird world of sports that we have. Andrew Luck, in six years, had more passing yards and more passing touchdowns than Dan Marino had in his first six years of his career. This guy was on a crash course for being one of these immortal greats in football the last season with Andrew Luck the Colts in the last 10 games of the season and this does not get talked about enough they went nine and one they had the number one offensive line rating in the NFL the number one defensive rating in the NFL Andrew Luck was number one in QBR and they won a playoff game against the Texans the only thing that stopped them was losing to the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round. This was the first Mahomes season back in 2018. That team was getting ready to be like a dynastic type of run. Like it was going to be Chiefs and Colts for the next five years in the NFL. Because think about it, they got Jonathan Taylor in 2020 in the second round of the draft. They could have had Jonathan Taylor with or without winning or losing that many games in 2019. They could have still probably drafted Jonathan Taylor, still would have had that offensive line, still would. Have had Darius Leonard, still would have had Kenny Young. They were a dynasty in the making, and Andrew Luck just basically said, Nope, I'm good. I'm just gonna go be happy. I I don't want to be this immortal football like figure, 10 years going to make the hall of fame. One of the five elite quarterbacks, maybe the most talented quarterback to enter the NFL out of college. I'm good, I'm gonna retire at 29. I'm gonna just vanish from the face of the earth for two years. No interviews, no sightings, no social media, just Vanish from the face of the earth for two years and then reemerge at a high school in Colorado one time because a 16 year old took a photo. It was like it's like seeing a Bigfoot a 16 year old kid catching a photo of Andrew Luck on his cell phone in August. And then he just shows up at the national championship game. And I'm not mentally prepared to see Andrew Luck show his face again publicly after two and a half years of just being like the most mysterious figure anywhere in sports. So yeah, uh, any chance I can get to talk about it? Andrew Luck, I will do it because it's the most fascinating thing that I've seen in sports in our lifetime.
0: <laughs> I have a question for you. Why is the man with the mustache no longer a Colt? Because Ryan Grixon stole his career right from under his nose. It's pretty good. <laughs> the biggest crime of Andrew Luck's retirement, though, I think is the fact that we no longer have the General Luck Twitter account. And when I talk about like early internet, like meme accounts, I think that was top tier. I think that was up there with like the tweets of God or whale facts on Twitter. That's how good General Luck was to me. But it is nice to see that he is in fact out there. Unfortunately, if you're a Colts fan and you literally had to come off probably one of the worst weekends of watching football in your entire Entire life as your team just blew it to the two and 14 Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that looked incompetent as of a couple weeks ago. And we talked about the final four games of the Colts schedule that you had the Cardinals, you had the Patriots, you had the Raiders, you had the Jaguars. And we said, you know what? If they beat the Patriots, they're pretty much a lock. They're pretty much locked in because there's no way that they don't at least split the final two games. And then when they added the victory against the Cardinals, then 99.9%, I'm talking and this is like hand sanitizer type levels to make the playoffs and unfortunately that 1.01 percent of germ or bacteria that is the jacksonville jaguars did them in they were the corona there they were the omicron variant that's what the jacksonville jaguars were to the indianapolis colts season except for actual that.
1: omicron because remember carson wentz had covid on monday and then miraculously was playing on sunday and then had two terrible you're right games. you're right
0: he does have the antibodies now but it definitely seemed like it did him in towards this street. Rich run of this season. I was blown away by that ending there for the Colts because I was ready to say Carson Wentz is back. He's turned his career around. what Colts are in the playoffs. They have something good developing there. Him and Frank Reich, their first year back together, got a little chemistry brewing. And yet his replacement in Philadelphia is in the playoffs and he is not. That is something that Carson Wentz and Colts fans are gonna have to think about as Philadelphia Eagles fans cheer in the background as they have one more week of playing time to go.
1: Yes, uh, no one can convince me that the Eagles are a better team than the Colts. There is no evidence to suggest that this is the case other than the Eagles getting a meaningless seven seed in the NFC. There,
0: there's. I mean, if you could lose to the Jaguars, you could lose to the Eagles. And that is one of the most shocking results of the season by far.
1: Any of those mediocre teams in the NFL can lose to anyone on any given Sunday. This happens all the time in the NFL. But the, the part with the Colts that I find the most fascinating is I liken their situation with the quarterback to like going through relationships because they were all shocked. They were devastated when Andrew Locke retired and Jacoby Brissett was that person they could lean on. It was a scary, uncertain time and Jacoby Brissett was there for them. And then they started to get back into the scene. They had had kind of moved on, accepted the reality. They were still saying, you know, maybe, maybe Andrew comes back in the back of their mind, but they'd started to move on. They found a nice Philip Rivers to help them ease back into having quarterback play and then Phillip Rivers got them to a playoff game if not for getting stuffed at the goal line three times against Buffalo and Josh Allen throwing a 50 yard pass out of his butt they probably would have won that game last year against the Bills and then Colts fans decided you know what we're ready to get back into the dating scene we're ready to get a little frisky here a little crazy we want the Carson Wentz experience and nobody is ever mentally prepared for the Carson Wentz experience especially when you're coming off of losing the franchise quarterback for the next decade to retirement like losing a dynasty before it ever starts right in front of your eyes no one's prepared for the Carson Wentz experience and this Colts fans this had to have just been an awful season just going through the Carson Wentz experience had to just be heartbreaking one of my favorite tweets of the entire season came in afterwards which was Colts fans booed Andrew Luck off the field during his retirement and God punished them by giving him five years of Carson Wentz and that seems to be the case for Colts fans at this point, because that season had to just be insane, just had to be insane for Colts fans going through the Carson Wentz experience.
0: And Colts fans, defense, I would probably boo too. I mean, the guy retired third week of the preseason. It's basically like a F you to everyone. I understand he's got his own things going on, but you know, come on. Like I'm paying good money. I bought the season tickets. I brought the Andrew Luck jersey. I wanted the Andrew Luck experience. But no, it's fine. Go off. Do your own thing. I get it. You know, fine. I just. Fuck me then okay you,
1: but, you are the voice of the fans my friend and i'm the person who says why are fans so entitled you guys are not entitled to boo this man who brought you so much joy and so I much give love.
0: give my money to you then i'm entitled to a little bit of joy in my life
1: yeah but that's the same argument people say where it's like i pay your taxes to teachers or i pay your taxes or i pay my taxes well, if a, a teacher was doing a shitty people.
0: job too we would call that out
1: <laughs> yeah and now the other part like the quiet part of this is fans don't actually pay the salary because 75% of the NFL's revenue is from television dollars. So the season ticket holders don't actually pay that But if we weren't viewing
0: it on television, television networks wouldn't pay nearly as much. I still think we should show
1: compassion to someone who is clearly going through struggles in their life. And I think it was a a massive level of entitlement to boo Andrew Luck.
0: Joe at the factory who has to lug coal each and every day with a sore back is probably a little less compassionate to the guy who makes seven figures and has a sore ankle or a minor tweak or something along those lines. I understand that the rehab process was strenuous on Andrew Luck, but I could understand why fans would feel a little like, Really, dude.
1: But two days ago, you're cheering him like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And now all of a sudden he's just, you know, we're going to boo him off the field because we're that entitled to having good.
0: Listen, there's good and bad ways to do it. I think Andrew Luck in that particular instance, that was a bad way of going about it.
1: I think Andrew Luck tried to do it the right way. It's just Adam Schefter leaked it while they were at the field. And then that was kind of it at that point. He tried to call the press conference for the next day and then they had to do it right after the game because it got leaked by Adam Schefter. But Listen, if it was before the
0: draft or if it was during free agency or it was something in that season that gave the Colts at least a chance to pivot besides going straight to Jacoby Brissett, I could see the fans being a little bit more understanding, although they would have still felt that sense of, wow, I I was expecting this to be like our next thing. You talk about potentially going on a dynastic run. Yeah, they would have felt that loss in the same way Lions fans were disappointed when they didn't get to see Calvin Johnson anymore or Sanders. Sanders or Niners fans when Patrick Willis just walked out the door, but you could live with it a little bit more than a guy doing it the third week of the preseason. Literally, the games are going to start next week and you're retiring on us.
1: I think fans and more specifically, Joe, in the coal factory or whatever you said, I think people who root for teams are not entitled to tell someone when and how they should do a certain thing. I think Andrew Luck is allowed to retire whatever he wants. If Andrew Luck decides in week five of the season that he wants to to retire that's Andrew Luck's decision and I'm not going to pass judgment as long as Andrew Luck has the willingness and gall to go through with it like I'm not going to judge him for coming to that conclusion if it made him super unhappy
0: I could understand why someone would feel that way if I'm paying my hard-earned money to indulge in the entertainment that is the Annapolis Colts franchise then I want to see a good product Yeah, this is the same part of that.
1: This is the same idea of Thunder fans that boo Kevin Durant or Spurs fans that booed Kawhi Leonard. It's like you feel you have a sense of entitlement to whatever the level of success is, is that this human being, in essence, exists to provide you entertainment. And that is the relationship you have with that person. And it seems it it, well, it doesn't seem it's not okay for people to have that level of entitlement. One day I love you and the
0: next day I hate. It's not just the money you're investing time into watching these games, whether it's two hours a week, three hours a week, scrolling through Twitter, keeping track of updates, whatever you're doing, you're investing time and time is a valuable asset in itself. So that's why people care and people are so invested in their team or so invested in players. And that's why I feel like if a fan, you, you, literally, you talk about dating, that's like someone just breaking up with you. That's like going to the altar and someone walking out on you. That's what it must have felt I think, like for Colts fans. I think
1: even if someone does that, you have a, a right to grieve and process things how you want to do it. But there is a sense of entitlement to being like, you are not allowed to do this. And that's the
0: interesting part that I find fascinating with this. Well, if Andrew Luck was thinking everyone's just going to pat him on the back or give him a round of applause when he decided to retire in the moment, and like you said, it was maybe Adam Schefter's fault, then I think that that would have been a misstep in judgment in itself because come on, fans are irrational by nature. Like I said, someone just broke up with you over text in a much grander scene, like a stadium where you have 40,000 people or however many thousand people fit into Lucas Oil Stadium. Of course, there's going to be a more vocal reaction.
1: Again, there's a grieving process involved in some of these things like Raptors fans cheered when Kevin Durant tore his Achilles in 2019. Like there's a process to this where in the moment there's an absence of information and such. But if Andrew Luck showed up tomorrow, Colts fans would give him a round of, like a rousal of applause if Andrew Luck showed up the next day at Lucas Oil. It's just an in the moment thing also. Yes, that's like
0: seven stages of grief, right? They've hit their acceptance point. I think there was Colts fans that were praising him on Twitter last time I checked before the game too so clearly Colts fans have moved on they're doing their own things but I think to act like fans don't have the right to be vocal in the moment when something that like that happens, I think is kind of like a fuck you to the fans.
1: It's a sense of entitlement. And there's a sense of perspective involved there of like, Andrew Luck is a person and Andrew Luck, if we assume Andrew Luck has valid reasons for wanting to retire, because that's the crux of a lot of this is fans felt entitled to Andrew Luck being there on Sundays every single week. And so when he's taking that away from them, they feel like you are the bad guy. Now, when I look at it, I'm like, Andrew Luck, had legitimate reasons for wanting to leave Indianapolis. Kawhi Leonard had legitimate reasons for wanting to leave San Antonio. It's going to make the fans upset, but if you have some level of perspective in this situation, you'll realize it's not worth being, what's the term, being antagonistic. What I would
0: say is when you sign a contract, you're not just signing that contract with the owner, the GM, the coaches, the other players. You're also signing that contract with the fans. And him not retiring in the off season or at a point that was more accommodating to the fans, franchise is also him breaking that contract with those fans and i think that if someone just decided to do that on you in a situation in which you had an agreement okay we're going into the season andrew luck whoever else is on the roster at least for this year this is our agreement again i could understand where andrew luck's coming from why i've heard him talk after this one in terms of the injuries and how that was piling up and he was tired of the rehab process but I just can understand why fans would be upset.
1: I, you have brought up a great phrase that I point to all the time with this because it's fantastic. And there's some former NFL players quoted on this. I can't remember who it is now, but they have a great phrase about this is that fans often want this to be an emotional relationship with the player. And the player has no idea who the fan is. Like The broad concept of fans as a whole, sure. But basically, the, the phrase there is like fans want this to be an emotional, deep relationship with their team and their player and the team and the player are like baby this is prostitution you are giving us money you are giving us resources and exchange we are giving you entertainment and dopamine like for the teams and the players this is basically prostitution and fans want this to be a deep emotional connection that they have and that type of abusive relationship and emotional manipulation is exactly why we are here doing a podcast because we love us some sports even when sports don't love us back and it's a weird relationship that you have with fan bases were like for me with the Padres. I've spent so much money going to Padres games and my parents have spent so much money taking me to Padres games in my life. They have not really brought any real ounce of like success or joy. It's a lot more despair than joy in sports. But I've also moved to a point in my life where I'm not as emotionally invested in sports because I realize all of this really doesn't matter. All of this is dumb and irrational where (laughs) people go crazy for a football team that goes four and eight at a school that they didn't attend. All of this is crazy when you think about it on the surface. And I think the concept of fan entitlement is something that only exists in sports. It kind of exists in other forms of entertainment, but sports are one of the only places where you can leave a event that you pay for, for entertainment and be disappointed. Sports are one of the few venues you can pay to leave disappointed because your team could lose or something could happen in the game that's not what you expected. It's interesting how that ends up working out.
0: I don't know. Have you ever seen the Black Eyed Peas perform live? I'm sure a few fans would leave disappointed <laughs> after that one.
1: That's a good one there. But even so, like, you know what you're getting when you go there in the same space, like a movie. I don't know. You know I, don't, I wasn't expecting
0: Fergie's voice to be that bad without lip syncing <laughs> or dubbing or whatever it is. Fergie hasn't been there in like seven years, though, right? Okay. Like if we were to just tier rank like all the Super Bowl halftime performances, I'm pretty sure that that one for me is like behind like the '60s marching bands that they used to have perform at <laughs> halftime. It was that bad. Like I remember just looking at that one, and we'll see Super Bowl here in a couple weeks. And I was just thinking, oh my god, please stop this! Please just stop it. Meteor from the sky just <laughs> fall down on the stadium. Anything to end this misery. And then it only got worse when Fergie had the national anthem a few years later at the uh, NBA All Star game. Just talk about a fall from grace. The Black Eyed Peas and Fergie. Just just add those two events together, and it's talk about gain exposed.
1: Gosh, which Super Bowl that had to have been like 2011 or times. Maybe that was like the one in Dallas. Some like the ones that I remember, like the weekend last year was a good one. I remember Bruno Mars did one that was pretty good. But I I know the the Katy Perry became a meme. But like, it's hard for me to recall Super Bowl halftime shows. And I'm like, I I like to think of myself as a little bit of a music guy. And you would think when music and sports kind of intersect, that that would be something that triggers some kind of excitement for me. But it's hard for me to remember the Super Bowl halftime shows. I know Coldplay did one when it was in San Francisco, but it was still day out. So you didn't really get the same like vibe of the halftime show because it was still four in the afternoon. But Super Bowl halftime shows are weird for me. But I'll give most, you the black eyed peas. On yeah. That one. Most
0: of them are fine. Even if I'm not a big fan of the particular artist, I can only say ah eh, that was fine. That was entertaining. I like for you mentioned Katy Perry or Lady Gaga. Like even though I'm not like just blasting their music time after time, I can look back at their halftime show and say, yeah, it was OK. Nothing egregious happen or anything terrible. But for the black IPs, that's just one that's just so visceral that will just stick in my mind till the end of time. Okay, let's move on to another subject here. So as we mentioned, tons of NFL head coaching vacancies. So Kyle, I am going to do you a solid here. I am going to name you the next offensive coordinator, the next hot shot offensive coordinator off the block. You have offers from every single NFL team that has a head coaching opportunity. I want you to rank your offers accordingly.
1: All right, let's do this. I think there are six as of the time of recording. Maybe by the time people hear this, Pete Carroll has agreed to mutually part ways with the Seattle Seahawks. But I think in the moment, there are six available head coaching openings. Seven, actually. Seven. Are we counting the Raiders? Yes, we are. We're going to count the
0: Raiders in this.
1: Okay. So if we're counting the Raiders, well, first of all, this would be easier to go from worst to best. So definitely worst New York giants. That's, that's an easy one. New York giants is definitely the worst opening. Denver would be second worst. Chicago would be third worst. I'd go Miami next Jacksonville three. I would go Minnesota two. Raiders one that would be my list of available head coaching openings
0: okay let's talk about your worst one the New York Giants why is that the one that you're just (laughs) sliding to the back of the offers
1: so let's go back to 2012 shall we so the New York Giants no I'm kidding I'm not going to go through 10 years of New York Giants mediocrity but we could start off with the fact that the New York Giants have no franchise quarterback no real path to a franchise quarterback a meddling owner no general manager uh, and have been irrelevant for a decade and I'm pretty sure they'll be irrelevant for another decade.
0: And can we also add in this their propensity to fire head coaches as you would be in this situation, their fifth head coach in eight years? That
1: part is just because they've never had a concrete plan. Like, first of all, Giants fans, I've said this before, maybe not on this platform. You did this to yourselves. You got Ben McAdoo fired for being right about Eli Manning being washed. And because of that, you took Saquon Barkley with the second pick in the draft. And it's just been downhill ever since. So you did this to yourselves, Giants fans. But that franchise has never had a concrete plan. The good news is now it looks like there's starting to be elements of a concrete plan only because they are fumigating. The organization. I said in week six, after they lost to, I want to say it was the Raiders that week. They were one in five at the time. And I said, That's it. Like, I, 21 games, it's over. Just fumigate the place. Saquon gone, Daniel Jones gone, Joe Judge gone, Gettleman gone. Just fumigate everything because you're going to have two top picks in this year's draft. Put a GM in place, put a coach in place, and then get out of the way if you're the owner. Just the Maras don't need to intervene. And in fairness, it took a lot of drama to get there like saying 3 weeks ago that Joe Judge and Daniel Jones were going to be safe for the next year and then not firing Judge on Black Monday and then firing Judge on Tuesday like it took a dumbass way to get there but they did ultimately do what I said they should have did in week 6. I thought it was going to be after 21 games I knew this was a failure and they were still going to give Judge and Jones 29 more games after we already knew it was a failure. So they did technically get there. They have two top picks. The only way that this turns out well, and I would change the rankings, is if Matt Corral turns out to be one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL. If not, it's toast for the New York Giants for the next decade.
0: Yeah, we don't know that at this moment. So that's something that we can't even add to the equation. I'm just saying purely from a prospective head coaching position, you don't know how good Matt Corral is going to be. You don't know how good any of these rookie quarterbacks are going to be. Your best case is maybe getting a free agent quarterback or making a trade here let's talk about your 3-4 here let's talk about the fact you have the Jacksonville Jaguars at three and you have the Miami Dolphins at four Miami obviously has had more success in the last three years which of course made the Brian Flores firing that much more controversial at three though you're really just banking on Trevor Lawrence and potential here why in your mind is the Jacksonville job more desirable than the Dolphins job
1: well if I'm going to be a head coach I don't want to be the person who has to put their morals and ethics aside and defend trading for Deshaun Watson in the next coming months so that might be just a personal thing, also. But if we're going to put that part aside and assume that Deshaun Watson has a chance of coming to Miami, now the reports were before that Deshaun Watson and the Dolphins were partly interested in each other because Deshaun Watson liked the defense and Brian Flores, and now you've taken that out of the picture. So maybe they've imploded even their chances of getting that possible hope that Deshaun Watson comes in two years. But I wouldn't bank on that. I don't like the idea of having. Chris Greer is my general manager, and I kind of know Tua isn't it. I know Tua can be a fine quarterback. They've had a terrible offensive line, but Tua is not going to be a franchise-changing quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Trevor Lawrence, I'm giving him a free pass for this year. I'm banking on this chance that I still don't know what Trevor Lawrence is going to be. I don't know what Tua is, but I know what Tua is not. Trevor Lawrence is kind of still just totally up in the air for me. And I get the number one pick in the draft. So yeah, I'll take the Jacksonville job over the Miami job.
0: A bonus, I think, with the Jacksonville job to factor in as well, playing the AFC South, I think is not as set in stone in terms of who you're competing against in the division. Talk about taking the Raiders job or the Broncos job, having to compete against Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes every year, I think would make that job less desirable than having to essentially see what you get with the Colts over the next few years. The Texans are obviously in a rebuild mode as well. And then of course the tight ends. Well, I do have much respect for Mike Vrabel and what they have there. The, certainly the offensive skill pieces with Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, AJ Brown. At quarterback, they can always fall off the map very quickly here. So Jacksonville definitely does have some room for growth there. So I like that being in your top three. I'm sorry, did you say the Raiders were one or which job did Raiders
1: you Raiders with- were one, Vikings were two. Two. That was Vikings my were call two. There.
0: Okay, let's talk about the Vikings job. That job obviously hasn't been open for quite a while. What are you doing with Kirk Cousins? You're stepping in day one. What is your mission as head coach? Are you keeping Kirk Cousins or are you just trying to see what else is out there?
1: So, this is one where I defer to the salary cap on this one because Kirk Cousins currently for next year has about a, a $40 million dead cap hit. So, he's going to be the Vikings quarterback next year. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts. Kirk Cousins is going to be the Vikings quarterback next year. After 2022, That dead cap hit goes down to around $10 million. One more year of Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, then they'll move him. Then they'll either draft a replacement or go to the rotating door of quarterbacks game. Like obviously when Kirk Cousins left Washington, they went and got Alex Smith instead of drafting a rookie. Maybe they go that direction. Whatever the the case may be, next year's going to look kind of like this year's team looked for Minnesota, you know, kind of seven and 10, eight and nine category. People are going to talk about them making the playoffs but they're not going to. Um, And then they can build the roster the way they want to. Maybe it means Adam Thielen walks. They trade Kirk Cousins, draft defensively, get Christian Derrissaw healthy. The Vikings one is like, it could be worse. And also the other five teams that we listed on there all have like super meddlesome owners. And the Vikings at least look like they're not overly meddlesome. The Wolves aren't necessarily the greatest ownership group that has existed, but it's still not quite as bad as those other teams where it's the McCaskies, uh, Steven Ross with Miami, which if we, if you can guarantee Deshaun Watson is going to go to Miami, Miami's number one on this list, but at the time it's too up in the air and I don't want to do the Deshaun Watson analysis part too. But anyway, so you've got Steven Ross, you've got the McCaskies, you've got the Broncos who just, I think John Elway is the owner of the Broncos at this point because the family like is going through court to try and get yeah, control so they can sell the team. It's it's very confusing you know what would
0: make me hesitant on the Broncos job there is just the fact that and I kind of alluded to this in our group chat and we've talked about it over the last couple of days obviously the lack of effort to really get a quarterback for Vic Fangio would make me wary if I was a incoming head coach it's like are you just going to bank on a Aaron Rodgers trade or trading for any other number of quarterbacks or are you going to actually make the effort to get me a quarterback here because I can't win if I don't have a quarterback yes this defense is fine there's great pieces on here that showed that they can compete they were what an eight win team this year but I need a quarterback if I'm going to be successful and I almost need a quarterback year one if I'm going to be successful so that commitment needs to be there and right now the Broncos are also given that they did win like eight games in a tough position in the draft where obviously not a lot of high-end quarterbacks are going to fall to them not that there's a lot of high-end quarterbacks mm-hmm. in this draft in general
1: in fairness the Denver Broncos did actually finish seven and ten and in this weird mutated season seven and ten means the Broncos have the nine pick in the NFL draft, so there's a chance they get one of those quarterbacks sitting at number nine. But uh, the hope I had for the Giants and putting them last is that you have two top ten picks this year, which you know it's fine. That
0: does make that attractive. I, I get what you're saying though. The Mara Group that does hurt things quite a bit. And then the fact that I have to battle through Daniel Jones or decide what I'm going to do with Daniel Jones, do the Maras make me keep Jones one more year? Those are questions that I would have to answer. And I think that I don't really want to answer. So if I have options like you do, Kyle McVeigh, Kyle Shanahan, well- I guess actually that works in doing Ohio this analysis. Is, yeah, in
1: doing this analysis, uh, it's, it's really like a one and two between the Raiders and Vikings, which are like fine, they're not great, but they're fine. Like at least Derek Carr exists. Then there's three, four, five where your hopes are just on the quarterbacks, and then it's just a total drop. It's like it's the money ball thing where it's like, then there's 50 feet of crap, then there's the yeah. Broncos and Giants. Is well, the Raiders,
0: obvious one, and it makes sense here because even though we went back and forth on it last week, not knowing the result of the Sunday night football game you know now you can make the playoffs with this team now it's official that you can make the playoffs with this Raiders team and you can only hope that you could get better now as of this moment obviously Mayock's still there so you would have to get married to a GM you would have to be forcibly married to Mike Mayock for at least give it a year if things aren't working after a year maybe Mark Davis and them want to move on from Mayock and you get to pick your GM but at least for one season you and Mike Mayock are going to be together you at least have Derek Carr you have have some nice pieces of work around Max Crosby Yannick and Gakway. they've gotten some good seasons out of Denzel Perryman though of course you have had your issues with the draft and when we talk about like Cleveland Farrell Henry Ruggs III no longer being available for you Ryan Edwards not really developing quite like we would expected you got lucky on a Darren Waller and then the offensive line was completely rebuilt over this last season so those are some things that you would have to inherit coming into the program as well as knowing that you're gonna have a lower draft pick given that you actually made the playoffs.
1: So, the Raiders is interesting because since Mark Davis took over the team, when Al Davis was was dying the last 10 years of his life and and he was running the team in the 2000s, their problem was that he was a super meddlesome owner at the very end. He's like, I'm going to die. I need to make sure that this is a win now team. We're going to take Jamarcus Russell over Calvin Johnson, even though Lane Kiffin still says to this day he was pushing for Calvin Johnson in, in that draft. And it was meddlesome up until then. Mark Davis's thing is, He's willing to stay out of the way, but he's also kind of just content being average. They've basically said it could be a lot worse. So we're just gonna kind of stay in the middle here. And the reason the Raiders haven't made the playoffs in I think it was like six years before this, or twice in the in the Mark Davis era, going back to 2010, the reason they've made it twice is only because they happen to exist at the same time as the Broncos and the Chiefs. Like they've been third place in the AFC West forever at this point. Would I sign up for that? If I had my pick of the litter, no. But if you're giving me these. These other six options of crap, crap, don't know if they have a franchise quarterback. Trevor Lawrence, dumpster fire. Chicago Bears, dumpster fire. Minnesota Vikings headed towards a rebuild in two years. It's just kind of like, I guess they have Derek Carr. Like, I mean, there's a reason all these the Vikings, jobs are
0: open. I mean, at least with the Vikings, hey, you get Justin Jefferson, you have Dalvin Cook, maybe a season more of Adam Thielen. So you, you got at least some fun offensive pieces work around, right? Yeah. Or Kyle, a little better LaFleur. you prefer LaFleur? You prefer LaFleur? Do you prefer Shanahan? <sighs>
1: If I'm being a coach, I would want to be, I would want to be a McVay. That would be my, my plan there. I would want to be a McVay type people that are respected as a leader, but also just very smart. I'd like to be smarter than everyone else. That's usually what gets me on.
0: As long as you don't run on the field when your team is only holding a 17 to zero lead prior to the halftime
1: was 46 and 0 with a lead at halftime prior to this it was the closest thing to a guarantee
0: 45 and 0 he became 45 and 1 because the Niners are the 1 in 45 and 1.
1: Yeah, and I don't understand why it's the case, but 17-point lead at halftime with Sean McVay is as much of a guarantee as you can possibly find in football. It literally had never happened before this Sunday. It's like that video of Aaron Rodgers doing the like the singular hip thrust and then they lost by like 38. It's like, yeah, just really bad luck that this is the one time that everything fell apart.
0: It started with that perfect jawline at Jimmy G and ended with Matthew Stafford reverting to Detroit with Matthew Stafford.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It is Jimmy G the best jawline or is Stefanski the best jawline? Because I think Stefanski has taken that reign from Jimmy G as best jawline in the NFL.
0: Are we really doing this? Are we like going who's like the best looking coach in the league? I don't know. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe it's good old Bill. Don't you want to wake up to that every morning? By
1: the way, just as a side note there, it was like 80 degrees in Miami and he was still wearing the hoodie. Like I couldn't believe it. It was so funny watching that during the the Sunday game with with Bill Belichick. Uh, If if
0: we're doing this, I think you got to put like Kingsbury up there, right?
1: Kingsbury's good. I throw (laughs) there's some ones that are definitely not in this camp, I would say for sure. But uh, I think if you go look at Ron Rivera in the 1980s, Ron Rivera was a good looking fella back when he had his his youthful days. Now he obviously he's older, but Ron Rivera, quite the, the youthful chap.
0: You know, I've seen Bears Twitter start talking about Brian Dayball and they're just like, yeah, he looks like a Bears coach.
1: Brian Dayball, by the way, who ran the worst offense in the NFL less than 10 years ago with the Cleveland Browns is now he's like, oh, I got a quarterback. And now all of a sudden, I'm going to be a head coach for one of these terrible franchises.
0: Sometimes having a quarterback is enough to get you a head coaching job in the NFL, unless of course, you're quarterback is Russell Wilson, then of course, that's um, going to put you on the shit list in the NFL to where it makes it very impossible for you to get a head coaching job.
1: Yes, that that is also true here. By the way, uh, I love that the Denver Broncos entire candidate list is just diet Vic Fangio. <laughs> it's the greatest thing I've seen. It's just it's Dan Quinn. It's Marvin Lewis. I'm just like, God, this is so perfect.
0: You know, so I'm perfect. somewhat of a Dan Quinn apologist. I could see him potentially having success in his second go-round in the league. I mean, just to go to a Super Bowl as a coach, I think is incredibly hard to do. And I I think that he's going to be all right in his next stop. I don't think he's going to be quite as successful as he was in Atlanta. Obviously, Gain an offense coordinator like Shanahan in the building helped him. Having Matt Ryan play his best football in his career helped him. But not an easy task by any means to make it to the Super Bowl as a head coach like he did with the Falcons. So I think Dan Quinn is a sneaky good hire amongst this incoming group of coaches that we'll see in this. Because we have also seen retread head coaches have success in their second go-around, too. So if you're a Todd Bowles guy, then maybe Todd Bowles might actually be more appealing this second time around.
1: Sure. The thing I'm learning from the Brian Flores shocking firing this time is that if you're not one of the eight really good coaches, you're pretty interchangeable. People are correct that Vic Fangio didn't get a fair shot as Broncos head coach because they didn't even try to get him a quarterback. Like they just they basically said, here's Teddy Bridgewater and here's Drew Locke, do what you can. Like they didn't even try to help out Vic Fangio. But at the same time, you can go find another Vic Fangio. It just changes up the voice in the locker room because there are 20 Vic Fangio's out there that keep getting thrown up in the coaching searches uh, for different head coaching jobs. It's it's just, I'm learning now that if you're not one of those eight coaches that we know are really, really good and just have something that's different than all the other coaches, whether it's just being smarter, better schematically, uh, you're Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay, and you've spent 20 years learning at the helm of one of these amazing, great coaches, your dad, literally, unless you're one of those eight guys and you Don't have a franchise quarterback, your job's pretty interchangeable at this point because. You can find more coaches like that, even Brian Flores, which at this point, unless they have someone better than Brian Flores, I assume Brian Flores is gonna get interviews for other jobs, but Brian Flores probably isn't gonna get one of these head coaching jobs this time around.
0: Really? You don't think he's gonna get any of these guys?
1: I don't think so, or he'll take a job where he's too good for it. I think that's the situation there. I know he interviewed, I think, with the Bears, or he was going to interview with the Bears, and maybe he gets another one of these jobs, but If you go to the Bears, the Giants, or the Broncos, you are probably going to get fired within three years. Like, no matter who you are, you're probably getting fired.
0: I like him for the Vikings because I don't think that the Vikings necessarily need to veer towards an offensive head coach because they have good offensive pieces at this time that I think will be able to be in cruise control. Yeah. I think that they just need to fix that defensive presence that has just been a shit show for the last two years when you look at the Vikings defense being. I think 29th last year and 30th in total defense this year, if they could just get that defensive mm-hmm. side of the ball, right. I think that that would bring them back to being relative contender in the NFC North.
1: I think the solution for them there is to get actual talent on the defensive side of the right. ball. Like they tried to draft Jeff Gladney. They tried to sign Rashad Breeland and now neither of them are on the team. Daniel hunters had season ending injuries each of the last two years. Yeah. So,
0: but this is the one time that I would advocate for a defensive head coach. Coach. I've told you my philosophy. If Julian Martinez owned an NFL team, who would you hire? I would probably lean towards hiring an offensive play caller just for the pure purpose of not having to hire a new OC each and every year. If my OC turns good, do I have to see him go get the next head coaching job? Or if he's doing horrible, firing him ultimately. I would just prefer to have my head coach and my OC just being one and one together. But in this particular instance, just because I have enough offensive talent, I think a defensive head coach is not a bad direction to go in.
1: I think when you're hiring a head coach, you should always try to get one of those special coaches, but it's really hard to find those guys because we don't know what makes a special coach. When Sean McVay got hired, it was like, everyone's like, who the hell is this guy?
0: (laughs) Khakis, lots and lots of khakis. That's what make a special coach.
1: Or just get Lane Kiffin so it can at least be fun, which by the way, I love- that this is a thing that's happening. Lane Kiffin has been connected within Ole Miss circles to the Vikings job and the Miami Dolphins job that he's interested. They might not be as interested in him, but there is a connection to Lane Kiffin with these jobs, which is beautiful. It's amazing.
0: Lane's a Miami guy. I think that if you talk about the public outrage, I think if Lane Kiffin got the job after Brian Flores, I think that that would probably be the thing that just sets people off the most because of Lane's laissez-faire, cool attitude
1: I would go to that point at this point now is there anyone other than Jim Harbaugh who gets hired that people won't say is going to create outrage between people looking at the Dolphins hiring process because it feels like if you're not getting Harbaugh then you're just doing another retread coach and Brian Flores looked like he had a chance of being some kind of special because they kind of overperformed but maybe not if Wink Martindale is their head coach I'd, I feel like you're getting the same result as if people are angry at Lane Kiffin.
0: Stephen Ross already shot down the Jim Harbaugh rumors as he claims he would not be the one to steal Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. As I guess Stephen Ross is a Michigan alum.
1: Yes, he is. Uh, he has donated over $500 million to the Michigan program. And uh, my favorite line from this, courtesy of Spencer Hall the Shutdown full cast is Where is there a rich guy who's able to ruin a program in both the college and the NFL? Rare does that exist where you have someone with so much power that they can ruin a college and an NFL program with their meddling of abilities. But Jim Harbaugh may still end up at Miami just because they don't want to get uh, hit with some tampering charges and they have to abide by the Rooney rule as well. So this might be save face for Stephen Ross if Jim Harbaugh does end up in Miami.
0: Now, I think Vespaccio definitely earned himself some strong consideration for the Raiders job. Obviously, having to battle back from adversity is a great mark of any head coaching candidate. But I still think that Jim Harbaugh is my favorite for that position. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh is a favorite for a lot of these positions. But in particular, that one, I think I could see a instant success possibility if he went to Las Vegas. I know we went back and forth on it. If you want to hear more of our discussions on that, just literally check out a segment I just dropped from last week's podcast on the YouTube channel. But I think Jim Harbaugh of the Raiders is still a pairing that I would like to see. Eric Bieniemy, I know he's a popular name that we've talked about plenty of times when it comes to head coaching positions. Where do you think Eric Bieniemy should go out of these seven job openings?
1: Oh, I said the exact same thing literally 12 months ago. So it's it's nothing changed here. Uh, he should go to Jacksonville. The quarterback's coach should be the offensive coordinator. Should have done that instead of Urban Meyer. No reason anything's changed. Chiefs are still overwhelming on offense. B the same guy he was before. The quarterback's coach he's got two A's in his last name and it's got like five letters. I can't remember what his name is, though. But yeah, have him be the play caller. Have enemy be the head coach. I would have done the same thing back then. Uh, if you want to hit off the rest of these, I'd go uh, Lane Kiffin for the Vikings. For the Raiders, I would do basically what the Texans did with David Cully, where you give Bispachia like a uh, franchise tag where it's like, it's a three-year deal, but it's really a one-year deal. Make the playoffs again, we'll give you another one-year deal kind of thing. I think that's what the Raiders probably do at this point is they might beat Cincinnati this weekend. They might get to the second round of the playoffs. That didn't stop the Titans from firing Mike Munchak back in 2017. But I think they look at it like, well, it'd be super unpopular Popular to fire him. Everyone's happy for the guy. The locker room seems to rally around him. We'll give him a three-year deal. We'll miss the playoffs next year. We fire him. We make the playoffs again. We'll keep him another year. I think they do basically a coaching franchise tag with Paspaccia and he stays for 2022.
0: I just hate Uh, the idea of punting on a year. And that's something that I just can't co-sign if I'm making that decision.
1: I agree. But I think that's probably what they do. Again, it could be worse. You could get into the coaching cycle and no one wants to take your job. Uh, I like Kellen Moore, actually, too, possibly for that job. If they do go the other direction, that would be a, a good move to pair him with Derek Carr. This, this would be the job if you're Kellen Moore to leave for. He turned down Boise State last year. That This would be the job to leave for if, if the Raiders job does become open. Dolphins... I'll say I'll say Wink Martindale because it's a funny name. I'll just say Wink Martindale to throw it out there because it's excellent. Jaguars enemy take the quarterback's coach as the offensive coordinator. Well, actually, the quarterback's coach could stay in Kansas City because then he would be the offensive coordinator after enemy. But anyways, go enemy in Jacksonville. Uh, looks like Dan Quinn's going to be the next coach of the Broncos. Uh, and whoever the Bears and Giants hire won't matter because they'll be fired in three years.
0: Some names that I, I can at least float out there. obviously Dayball. Eberflus of the Colts defensive coordinator has been mentioned.
1: Todd Bowles, Vance Joseph. I've seen those ones out there. Byron Leftwich.
0: McDaniels, the 49ers offensive coordinator is gained discussed. And obviously Shanahan, former assistants, is one that's popular. See, I, I thought you
1: meant the other McDaniels for a second, the one in New England. I'm like, do you know how disappointing it would be if Belichick's guaranteed him that he's going to be the successor and then he just leaves to go take like the Bears job? I'm like, dude, don't do it. <laughs> but... Yeah, that's, that's where it's at there. I also saw Gerard Mayo was in there. I'm like, when is Gerard Mayo? I thought he was a player like six years ago, and now he might get the head coaching job of the Giants. So it was like, Jesus.
0: Well, one thing to understand too, when we also see a lot of names getting dropped over the next few weeks, obviously the NFL has done expansive reform of the Rooney rule too. So we're going to see a lot more names that we weren't expecting getting discussed in this. Obviously there's also some more protective rules, like they have to be a coordinator on a staff. That way it avoids, situations where I think like in the past teams used to just hire or give a job interview to essentially like a wide receivers coach who never had a chance at the job anyway yeah we'll see at least a little bit less of that I'm curious to see any other surprise candidates that come along I think that's about right I think some of the names you listed to some of these jobs I don't know if there's any other college head coaches that are going to make the jump to the pros this year any that really stand out the fact that Matt Rule still has a job too is another one that Surprising me, that's a position that's not open right now at this time.
1: There was one that people threw out that I can't remember who it was now, but it was one of the it was a college coach, but I can't remember who it is now. Dabo wasn't Dabo. It wasn't it wasn't a high it was like in the lane kiffin tier. It wasn't, I think gosh, I can't remember who it was now, but it was it was one of these like minimal level coaches. David Shaw just kept turning down jobs and eventually people just stopped calling because he's still the third highest paid coach in college football, still, even after this crazy off season of coaching switches um matt campbell's always there but he turned down 58 million last year from the lions so matt campbell might not get the calls anymore Kirby yeah, Smart, I think it's that's, time that's make the jump,
0: jump. do you like your predecessor the miami job is open go for it
1: yeah, I don't. I don't think that one's gonna go in their favor there. But to the point with the Rooney Rule, the, this is the conversation that ends up getting had every year. The the conversation used to be there aren't enough talented candidates to get these head coaching jobs, and this was something Roger Goodell like genuinely cared about like five years ago. These like I want to not have this be the case where there's only two black head coaches in the NFL at any given time. Now there's a gigantic pool of candidates, and we'll find out if owners still want to just do the thing where it's like you hire someone who thinks, talks, and sounds like and looks like you. Uh, We'll see if the people in power still make those choices because there aren't enough people who aren't straight white men in positions of power in the NFL. Maybe the decision makers now that they have candidates are more open to it. But now we find out whether or not this is an owner's thing. It's, It's kind of always been an owner's thing and who they choose to hire. But now we find out if owners are willing to make different hiring decisions this time around and whether... We're going to have another offseason with no <laughs> enemy Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, Vance Joseph, any of those guys. Vance Joseph, I understand, because I think Vance Joseph is not a good coach, but the other ones, I think, are like, yeah, someone should give him a try. Might as well. It's better than going to get Bill O'Brien again, which everyone wants to hire Bill O'Brien for some reason.
0: I saw a tweet, though, mentioning, obviously, the Lions firing Jim Caldwell, Levy Smith getting fired in Chicago, and Brian Flores, of course, getting fired in Miami after relatively successful runs with with those programs the only thing i asked after reading that tweet was can we not make big societal statements based off the decision making of both the chicago bears the detroit lions and the miami dolphins because if we did that then the society around us would just crumble anyway all right let's see here we didn't talk about kanye hanging out with ab should we do a deep dive into that No, I don't think so. Should
1: we? No, but apparently it's me now, I think.
0: I was just disappointed that Kyrie wasn't involved in that photo. I I just think that that would be the holy trinity right there. Kyrie, AB, and Kanye being all in the same photo together.
1: So we can have a mental health discussion, of course. Yes. By the way, I did find interesting on the Antonio Brown front, because like I said, I don't find this situation as interesting as everyone else does with Antonio Brown. I feel like we're trying to squeeze content out of Antonio Brown the way we did in 2019, and it's not really the same. I found interesting on the podcast he did today. He's like, yeah, it was probably unprofessional how I walked out. I was like, oh, probably there is. I was like, oh, there's a, there's a level of attrition there. And you know what? That's all I can ask for at a certain point. It's like, yeah, well, he recognizes it was kind of unprofessional. Maybe that's part of the pivot to coming back in the league. Maybe he was having a manic episode that was undiagnosed. Whatever it was, interesting to see a little bit of perspective. He's like, yeah, probably was unprofessional. I didn't really have to throw everything and, and do jumping jacks off the field, but I was still going to leave anyways. I just probably didn't have to do it that way. I was like, oh, a little bit of perspective from Antonio Brown. How about
0: that? I mean, he's doing a lot of podcasts recently he had another podcast literally two days later when he was calling out tom brady so guys all over the place whatever it's neither here nor there he's not playing this weekend his team is or his former team is actually two of his former teams are playing oh no don't forget and
1: and the bills for 12 hours he was a bill for 12 hours and also a raider he's been on all these teams
0: exactly antonio brown is well represented actually throughout the first round of this nfl playoff so five of the eight teams which game should we start with first Um, just for perspective, actually, I should let our listeners know that we will not be breaking down the Bengals Raiders game, that we will not be breaking down the Niners Cowboys game on this podcast. If you want to go check that out, if you want to check out some awesome guests that we have lined up, go to our YouTube channel, because on there, you'll find some great game preview and predictions for this coming weekend. But we have some four awesome games to talk about and really like two awesome games, but I'll, I'll let yeah. you decide still.
1: Any, anything that doesn't have Pennsylvania football is is awesome this weekend everything else is kind of just why why are we doing one of them is the colts fault we'll get to that one at some point but one of them is the colts fault the other one is just it happened it's just the eagles someone had to get the seven seed in the nfc it was the bottomless pit of hell that we called it all season someone had to get the spot it just happened to be the eagles so yeah the the first game on the list is also the best game it's bills and patriots so tempted in my mind to choose that one because it is the first game there so we'll take the saturday night thriller
0: You've already said it. We might as well just get into it. The Saturday night main event between the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills, the trilogy fight here in 2021-2022 season. This is a split series as of this moment as the Patriots got the better of the Bills in Buffalo with 50 mile per hour wins and Mac Jones throwing a total of three passes. The second time around though, it was the Josh Allen All-American Bowl as Josh Allen went crazy. Josh Allen was dominating the Patriots and Josh Allen showed why he's the ultimate X factor in this matchup between these two teams. Currently, this is a four point line in favor of Buffalo. The Patriots, while they did have that hot stretch in the middle, there six seven straight wins they have started to falter here in the last part of the season Obviously losses to the Colts, losses to the Bills, and even in week 18, a loss to the Miami Dolphins. So the Patriots, well, they've had moments of their defense obviously being elite this season, in the last few weeks, we haven't quite seen the same unit show up to play. So what are we going to see this Saturday, Kyle?
1: Well, in the point of the New England Patriots, I have been saying for 12 weeks, it's getting really obnoxious at the end. But the whole way through, I said, if you line up the 14 teams that are probably going to make the playoffs in all of the NFL. The Patriots have the lowest upside offense. They have the lowest upside offense in the NFL. Now they have the second lowest upside offense because the goddamn Steelers are in the playoffs now, and that is the worst offense maybe in the entire league other than the Jacksonville Jaguars. But at the same point, the New England Patriots have a low upside offense, and that's something that was always going to come back to hurt them. It came back to hurt them against Miami when they lose the game. Why? Because Mac Jones made the most rookie mistake ever of getting head faked by Xavier Howard, one of the best corners in the NFL is just an easy pick six going back like the Dolphins and Patriots, similar on paper, pick six goes the Dolphins way. Boom, Miami is going to end up winning that football game. What's interesting about this one is do the Patriots dictate it the way they want to play the game? Uh, It's going to be eight degrees. It's going to be uh, overcast in Buffalo. No snow, no rain, just eight degrees in January in Buffalo, which means the Patriots are going to run the holy shit out of this football like Bill Belichick is just going to go back to like 1940s wing T and just power run up the middle of the entire game with an occasional toss pitch mixed in in between we already know that's going to happen Buffalo knows it's going to happen Buffalo just doesn't have a good rush defense so it's going to kind of be like the end of that Chargers Raiders game for four quarters where it's like we know the Patriots are going to run the ball we've set out our run defense who's going to stop who because the Patriots have an okay rushing attack it's over Overperformed this year because the offensive line was better than we thought, and they've been semi-respectable offensively. So the Patriots have overperformed running the ball this year to expectations, and Buffalo struggles to stop the run. So it's just going to be you know push comes to shove. That's how the Patriots are going to go. They're going to hold the ball probably for like 35 of the of the 60 minutes. They're going to try and win time of possession there. Where things get interesting is on the flip side, which is we are so accustomed to Bill Belichick taking away your best weapon. And that is obviously Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is obviously the go-to guy. And Stephon Diggs quietly had the most touchdowns he's ever had in his career this year with 10. He had 1,200 yards and 100 receptions. Just the quietest 1,200-yard season ever for Stephon Diggs because it wasn't the 1,600-yard crazy season that he had last year when Buffalo had like the second-ranked offense in the NFL. So we assume because Bill Belichick is really smart that he's going to find a game plan to take away Stefan Diggs and he's going to say it's not going to be Diggs that beats us we dare you to beat us with Dawson Knox We dare you to beat us with Gabe Davis is kind of the go-to there. That's an interesting point as well for this game. There's another interesting part that comes in later, which is in the last three games of the season, non-Patriots for the Buffalo Bills, because that Patriots game, they just threw it the entire game because the Patriots didn't have any way to stop them passing the ball. They just kicked ass throwing the football. In the other three games, they finished the year, which was, I believe, the Jets, the Panthers. I think it was the Falcons, maybe. But again, not great teams was the point I was saying, not great teams. Devin Singletary carried the ball an average of 21 times in those three games. Prior to those three games, Devin Singletary had an average of eight carries per game. He had 21 in the last three games. He rushed for an average of 90 yards and had four touchdowns in three games. Yes, against bad defenses, but the point that's more interesting is that Buffalo really wants to commit to running the football because they know one-dimensional offense is way easier to take out. So if the Patriots say they're going to take out Stephon Diggs, if they can move the ball running it, it makes it their chances a lot better because Buffalo has a really, really good offense and the Patriots have a really, really mediocre offense. And this is where Buffalo's advantage is. It's why Buffalo's a favorite in this game. And it's why reluctantly, I am picking the Buffalo Bills at home to defeat the New England Patriots. And there's a reason I'm rooting for the Patriots, because if Buffalo wins, it means there is a 100% guarantee that either the Raiders, Bengals, or Titans are going to play in the AFC championship. And Lord knows I don't want that to happen. So hopefully the Patriots win that so that we can get Patriots Chiefs in the AFC championship game. If not, this is the game of the weekend. Like, this is like basically a second round matchup in the first round just because of the way the playoff bracket drew one of these teams belongs in the conference championship
0: break out the wetsuit for mac jones because the weather in buffalo is looking like partly cloudy with a high of 10 and a low of five degrees so should be some fun january playoff weather out there in buffalo new york uh when it comes to this matchup obviously two elite defenses you have on both sides as you mentioned though can buffalo commit to the run you said Singletary's been more productive for them he has but in that Patriots game he had the same amount of carries as Josh Allen but Josh Allen was more efficient with those carries Josh Allen when he does everything for this team it's a good thing but it's also a problematic thing for the Bills offense as you mentioned we've talked about the difference between low upside offense and a one dimensional offense like the Bills have and there is definitely some drawbacks there what burned them in the last game is Isaiah McKenzie actually had the better day between them and Stefan Diggs i um, McKenzie's come on strong in the latter half of the season. Uh, Manuel Sanders, I know, was dealing with injury. I don't know if he is going to be out there. Uh, Cole Beasley, of course, also has been a huge playmaker for him. I want to say he missed that game with COVID, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was the game that was, he was out on that particular one. So, yes, now that the Bills have their full complemented weapons, certainly they're not going to be handicapped going into this game. Third matchup around, it's hard for me to not go with the coach I have more faith in. Matt Jones down the stretch has really given me a lot of cause for consistency. Concern when it comes to the Patriots and having any level of faith in this offense to do anything. I know it's more than likely I won't be rewarded, but if they could just pound the rock with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, I think they'll be fine. I think that they'll be able to put up more than enough points on the Buffalo Bills, control the clock, keep it out of Josh Allen's hand, make it very difficult to make it come down to two or three chunk plays. And that's why I'm going to go with the Patriots. I think that this is going to be one of those games where it's literally going to be a 40 carry output by the Patriots backfield. I don't feel great about it in the same way that you reluctantly talk about picking the Buffalo Bills here. I don't feel great about it. Like you said, these teams are pretty evenly matched. They've had their highs in the season. They've had their lows. And I guess I'm just going with experience. I still believe in that Patriots brand.
1: This is going to be the most fun game of the weekend. No ifs, no ands, no buts. This game is going to be so much fun. As Seth Wickersham talked about in his amazing book, that if you're a football nerd like me, you want to read this Seth Wickersham book. It's like 19 hours long, but it's really good. The first rule of Belichick is don't give Belichick a second chance. If you limit Belichick's chances to beat you, you're going to have a chance to beat Belichick, especially. Especially when you have the more talented team than Belichick, which I know the Patriots defense is really good, but Buffalo has a more talented team than the New England Patriots and Josh Allen, no turnovers. You can do punt turnovers. You can do the like 50 yard passes down the field interceptions like those won't kill you. No fumbles, no missed throws on a screen pass, no missed throws on a slant, no turnovers, no turnovers because you have to play a mistake free game otherwise you're going to lose because the margins are just so close in this game so josh allen no real turnovers like you can do like i said you can do the 50 yard farted out your butt pass down the field that gets intercepted by adrian phillips but no real true turnovers in this game
0: you're not talking about doing a do do in the backfield rotating to his left spin out right sprint right option double left fake it juke toss it up and just comes down in J.C. Jackson's hands?
1: Yeah, you, you can do that. You can do that. It's just don't do the thing you did two years ago where you tried to pitch the ball when running for a first down against the Texans. It's just no mistakes. If you do no mistakes, your team is good enough to win. Just don't give Belichick more chances.
0: All right, let's go into a game that you are probably less excited to talk about and one that's going to be pretty easy for us in the pick Let's talk about the biggest line of the weekend, which 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 is going to be, of course, the Pittsburgh Steelers rolling into Kansas City. Big Ben's final ride where he is a 12 and a half point underdog. And we obviously just saw this game literally like three weeks ago whenever the Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh Steelers lined up. One of my fondest memories actually of Patrick Mahomes and his growing career is actually the first game he actually had against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that was a week one game in the 2019 or 2018 season where he just came out like a ball of fire and instantly lit up the Pittsburgh Steelers. Though it was fun because that was actually when Ben was competent because Ben was actually going back and forth with him too. It was just an offensive showcase I think that was one back when Ben could throw for 500 yards in a game. Now, <laughs> some of the offensive numbers in that Cleveland game from a couple weeks ago were pretty ugly. And that's kind of what we've been getting from Big Ben in recent years. I kind of want to, in a way, give the veteran some respect, give him some fighting chance here. But... I just know how good the Chiefs are. And I literally just saw this on my television screen as of three weeks ago. And we talked about this with the Georgia-Alabama game. Obviously, how much of a blowout that was. Bama, of course, came back down-earth. They came back so much down-earth that, of course, Georgia was able to get that victory. Can the Steelers make it a closer game this coming weekend?
1: Oh, are you asking me? No, the answer is no. No, they will not. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs should be even bigger favorites than the line says they're going to. Act. The only reason they won't cover the spread is because they take their starters out at the end of the game. Uh, this is a good consolation prize. As many of you can see, there is a nice little Patrick Mahomes jersey back here because I am indeed a Mahomey. Mahomes is the reason that this exists. Uh, in combination with the Chargers leaving San Diego when I was a child and Patrick Mahomes being amazing at football at a time where I was out on football, the reason this exists is because because of Patrick Mahomes. That is the reason I have such an affinity for Patrick Mahomes. The Kansas City Chiefs basically get another bye week. I'm cool with it. They deserve the first overall seed. It's BS that they didn't get the first overall seed and get another first round bye. It is not
0: BS. They had a worse record than the Titans and the Titans had a better record. They had the 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 same record as the
1: Titans. Well, it doesn't matter. They had the
0: head-head victory.
1: They had the same record as the Titans. And, you know, the Chiefs deserve to be the number one seed in the AFC for the fourth consecutive year. I can still say they've had the best record in the AFC for the last four years. Because this is part of the thing that makes the dynasty cool is that they're the first team. Not even the Patriots did this. Not not even the Patriots had the best record in the AFC for four consecutive seasons. Not a dynasty. that's what they've done. (laughs) This is basically a bye week for them. They just get a. Get, they get to try some things. They get to get right. They're gonna win this game by a lot of points. And this is a point where this weekend is gonna be a little crazy. Like last year, they did six games, and I spent I think like twenty something hours watching football that weekend. It was just it was too much. It was too much. And so I had to pick one game last year that I just I had to take a pause to to break up the weekend. And that was that was Tampa Bay Washington for me last year. I skipped the first half of that game. I had to go do something else. Like it's just too much football. This is that. That game. Just go do something else during this on Sunday night. You can skip the second half. You can listen to our podcast where we talk about other things other than the Steelers and the Chiefs. Like the the Chiefs are going to absolutely destroy the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it's not going to be a close contest. This is basically like last year's Bears Saints game, where it's a team that should have won six games that happened to win nine games, happened to make the playoffs because the Colts fell apart, or last year, the Cardinals fell apart and the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in the AFC who's gonna absolutely dismantle them. So yeah, but also it's Big Ben's last game. So good on that storyline.
0: Happy retirement, Big Ben. Um, yes, I'm on the Chiefs here, but I tell you, man, come on, by what metric are the Chiefs the number one seed? I mean, they lost head-to-head against the Tennessee Titans.
1: How it's, many points are the Chiefs going to be favored against the Titans in Tennessee? If they play the AFC Championship yes, in Tennessee. We don't
0: seed based off intangibles, we seed based off the results that have played out on the field over the course of the Yeah, but we seeded season.
1: wrong. But the, that's not, the thing. How I'm do, saying okay, we I, how,
0: how do we seed then, Kyle? Are we just going to say Oh, how like, would
1: I have done it? Uh are I would've said say that,
0: like okay, like the computer generator. Are we going to go BCS style with it? Is that how we're going to determine who gets the higher seed?
1: I mean, that's the way that would be the most fair. I mean, I'm cool ranking them based on it would be on paper. I know we don't do that, but if you're giving me the option, I would have given the Chiefs the one seed. I would have given the Bills the two seed, the Patriots the three seed, so that the Patriots and Bills could play in the divisional round instead of the first round. I would have given the Bengals the four seed. I would have given the Colts the five seed. I would have given the Titans the six seed. I would have given the Chargers the seven seed if I'd had the choice, but I don't get that choice. I just have to watch the goddamn Steelers now because we're doing it this way.
0: The biggest margin of victory last year was a 12 point victory by the New Orleans Saints over the... Chicago Bears in the wild card round. Mm. So we had seen... remember
1: remember that game. They threw a touchdown in garbage time on the last play of the game. It was really a seventeen or eighteen point game where they threw a garbage time touchdown at the end.
0: I know. I'm just for context' yeah. sake, just saying. In terms of blowouts that we've seen, given playoff teams, also you talk about garbage time. Last year's Pittsburgh Steelers team against the Cleveland Browns because that was a eleven point victory by Cleveland, but Cleveland from start to finish pretty much ran away with that game. I wonder if the Chiefs will just right away, just out the gate, just put 21 points on them. The Steelers would have to get over the hump if they're going to try and make this a competitive game. If they could just try and limit the initial output by the Chiefs, then I think that they they will be able to at least cover the line here. We'll talk about a 13 point line. We just kind of have to talk about the smaller victories here. In doing the serious analysis, I, I think
1: this game could actually be close at halftime. Like I think they could go into the halftime locker room and make a case for we can come back in this game the thing is if you gave me an over or under of the Steelers scoring 10 points I would probably bet the under like I just that that team's not going to be able to score points unless Mahomes gives them points like if Mahomes gives them points it's going to start to be a little scary in between but the Steelers defense is genuinely pretty good like they're not the top defense in the sport like they were a couple years ago when they almost made the playoffs with Duck Hodges as their quarterback but they're still pretty good you know T.J. Watt did tie the sack record this year Minka Fitzpatrick isn't quite the guy he was two years ago but he's still a very solid safety I, I don't know where they exactly where they ranked at the end of the year but I know they were ranked in the six to seven range on DVOA so the defense is actually like pretty good I mean the Chiefs have three hall of famers and the greatest offensive coach ever so obviously there's a lot to fight against but I, I think the game might actually be close at halftime and then the Chiefs kind of pull away in the second half because now they have a lead now they can run the ball more. They establish the run. It opens up the pass. Steelers might be down a corner in this game. Not Steven Nelson. He's not there anymore, but their number two corner might be out for this game. I forgot who it is now. That might end up being a difference maker there, but I think the game might be close in the first half. Again, there's a chance it's 21-0 by the time we hit the second quarter. That's always possible with the Chiefs, but I think it could be close at halftime and then the Chiefs run the ball and then they kind of score like two touchdowns in the third quarter and Big Ben has to start throwing it more and he throws an interception and that leads to seven more points or something like that. So I I think it might actually be close at
0: halftime. And at the risk of this aging poorly, given the Steelers make some miraculous win or something out of their ass, I would say bigger picture for the Chiefs. You mentioned a great point there. Patrick Mahomes, when the Chiefs were struggling, the turnovers were very apparent. That's going to be pivotal in the Chiefs' ultimate Super Bowl aspirations for Patrick Mahomes to not revert back to what was a week six when he was just a sieve of turnovers.
1: Yeah, he was chucking balls backwards over his head against Washington and driving me insane, but I never wavered, never wavered in my confidence in the Chiefs, and I never wavered in the people who said that the Chiefs might not make the playoffs because they started going through their schedule. It's like, wow, that's a tough schedule. I'm like, they're literally the Chiefs. They're better than all these teams that they're playing against. It's not like it's a toss-up in all these games, but yeah, Kansas City should have just gotten a bye week. I would have been fine canceling this game and just giving them a bye week, even if it were the Titans. I would have been fine if the Titans had been the two seed, just giving the Titans a bye week. I knew the Titans were going to win. I knew the Chiefs are going to win, but that just has more to do with the Steelers than it does about the Chiefs.
0: Again, Titans got the head-to-head victory tiebreaker. It doesn't matter old school, new school tiebreakers. It's a tiebreaker. It's, it's wrong Deal with it.
1: Tiebreakers are wrong.
0: The game the Titans, is wrong.
1: Titans might be the sixth best team in the AFC. Like, like I said, they might be the sixth best team in the you AFC.
0: Know, I saw a stat record set for most wins against winning teams this season by the Tennessee Titans. I can't even front. They beat my Niners. They beat the Bills. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the Colts twice. Yeah, it's what so more dumb. do you want from them so <laughs> what dumb. more do you want from them serious question have
1: a better quarterback and a healthy derrick henry and have a defense that's they not might have get a healthy torched derrick by henry Marines. they're gonna have a 60 percent healthy derrick henry it's not gonna be a fully healthy derrick henry
0: all I can say is just for the Titans defense, everything that we've seen from them from the season, when I've doubted them, they've won. They have Derrick Henry coming back, A.J. Brown back. They have Julio Jones back, even though he's a shadow of himself. And that defense, you mentioned the possibility of a game torch. I mean, they've been better than I could have ever imagined them being. I think they're the top five rush defense in the NFL.
1: If your pick comes true and the Patriots win Saturday, how many points are the Patriots favored against the Titans in your opinion? They're not. No, say, no. Interesting. Okay. That's not Okay. Even a close one for me. No, that's fascinating. I, I, I would have given the
0: Patriots two points, two and a half is points. Going to agree with me. That's going to be a five and a half points for the Titans.
1: Ooh. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I'm interested to see where that goes now. May, maybe the Patriots win, so that fortunately we can get Patriots Chiefs in the AFC Championship game instead of Chiefs against the Raiders in the AFC Championship.
0: I would love to see the Raiders in the AFC Championship. Now I want to. Why? Into existence.
1: <laughs> Why would you want to? see that. (laughs) <laughs> because
0: some men just want to watch the world burn, Kyle.
1: You know what? I can respect that. I can respect that as a as someone who fancies themselves a sports anarchist every now and then. I can respect that.
0: Let's go into the other game. You talked about Pennsylvania football not exactly putting out exciting product this weekend. The Philadelphia Eagles would be traveling to Tampa Bay, another rematch of a game we saw earlier this season. That one was a 28 to 22 Thursday night football game where it was a little bit of a backdoor cover that kind of makes it look a little bit closer. Closer than it actually yes, that's was. That's right. Eight and a half points, Tampa is getting. And this is a very different Tampa team. And it's gonna be hard to evaluate in the long run. It's I, I won't just isolate this analysis to just this game when we talk about Tampa here, but I will say losing Godwin to the ACL and Antonio Brown losing his mind are two things that are gonna impact this roster going into a deeper playoff run. Obviously, it's gonna be a lot of Mike Evans. That's who's gonna to have to pick up the slack in the passing game. Rob Gronkowski, of course, in the shorter intermediate. And I think. Are going to have to rely a lot more on the rushing attack with Leonard Fournette. I think that's going to be the big key for them to really making a deep playoff run this time around because I don't think that they'll be able to just continuously air it out. I know that they have guys who have stepped up for them in recent weeks, especially with the Godwin injury, especially with losing AB, but counting on Scotty Miller, counting on Grayson, Cyril. Oh, you mean
1: the made up name of Cyril Grayson who's not going to play because he's unlikely to play on Sunday? On Sunday? The
0: total Madden create a player that is Cyril Grayson. Exactly. So that's zero
1: college receptions, Cyril
0: Grayson. Yes. Yeah, that's where the Buccaneers offense is. And while I still have belief in Tom Brady, their offensive system under Bruce Arians and certainly their defense, I think their defense is also going to be a big story here. It does limit them. They're not the same team that we came into the season expecting them to be. Does that mean they're not a Super Bowl team? I won't go that far. I still have them as a top four team currently in this remaining bracket. And that just goes with the GOAT. That just goes with Tom Brady being on their team. You're just never going to count them out as long as they have that quarterback lining up under center. As far as for the Philadelphia Eagles, some things that I'll say nicely about them here, they are not as bad as I thought they were going to be at the start of the year. It's still one of your common phrases here. They're not as bad as I thought they were because I came into the season, I believe I had them winning four games in the preseason analysis and they made it in the playoffs. And yes, they picked apart the bad, teams on their schedule but there's a lot of bad teams that can't beat other bad teams so if you beat enough of those bad teams to go eight and one against under 500 teams then you end up in the playoffs and is that a flawed system i think not because at the end of the day you just got to beat who's in front of you and if you end up in the playoffs that's your reward so congratulations to the Alpha eagles for making this far i don't know what that's going to mean for like jalen hurts in the long term i don't know what that's going to mean for nick sirianni in the long term but it does give them a little bit of equity as Both of them progress as a head coach in the league and progress as a quarterback in the league, whether Jalen Hurts is going to be a starter or backup for the next 10 years. I think he's earned himself a little bit of NFL job stability.
1: Yeah, and if Brian Flores, the best reason people can say for getting fired is, well, he didn't make the playoffs in three years, Nick Sirianni's going to probably in two years have a similar resume to Brian Flores, but at least he has this one playoff appearance they can point to, which, by the way, if it had been two years ago, wouldn't have made the playoffs because there were only six teams making the playoffs the, another place where the tiebreakers were wrong I'm not as upset about this as the Titans and the Chiefs but the the tiebreakers were wrong about keeping the Saints out of the playoffs over the Philadelphia Eagles because the Eagles are probably the ninth best team in the NFC this year
0: I'd rather see the Eagles than the Saints we've gone back more with it I do not want to see the Saints in the playoffs They're boring. but at least the Saints defense is good like at least the defense. Saints okay fine the Saints defense is at least a top 10 unit in the NFL I would say you're
1: telling me you wouldn't have wanted to see Saints Bucks Part 3 after the Bucks haven't beaten the Saints in the regular season in the last 2 years? That would have been so exciting in the in the playoffs this weekend. Instead, we get to watch an Eagles team where the only good thing I've heard about them this entire week is well, they're good at running the football. Well, you know who's not playing? Miles Sanders. You know who they are playing? The best rush defense of the last 10 years in the NFL. So, good luck to them on that one. I commend you for your efforts, Philadelphia for getting here and playing this meaningless playoff game that maybe is not so meaningless to you because again you're here because you played Washington and the Giants four times and you won those games so credit to you for that one but we know the Philadelphia Eagles are like the ninth best team in the NFC it's fine the Tampa Bay side is interesting because I'm super fascinated to see them either play the Rams or the Cowboys I'm not even going to pencil in the Cowboys beating the 49ers I know we're not going to preview that game here but I'm not even Cowboys are a better team than the 49ers but I'm not going to pencil that in as a victory but regardless of They play. I think it's going to be so fascinating to watch that matchup in the next round, which we'll obviously get to. If we're going to talk about that next week, the thing I'm interested about here is. No Ronald Jones, which means Le'Veon Bell is the backup. Giovanni Bernard is supposed to be healthy for them. So I guess that's like Le'Veon Bell-esque. He does similar type things as Le'Veon Bell at this point. So that'll help out a little bit. Fournette's going to play. No Cyril Grayson. No Ronald Jones. No Chris Godwin. No Antonio Brown. Have I Is OJ Howard still there? I haven't heard from OJ Howard very
0: much recently. You bring up a valid point. I feel like his name just fell off the face of the earth. He was coming back from the ACL injury last year, correct?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I know he was out for all the year last year, but I feel like he just, I mean, like we talk about how they don't have enough weapons anymore, which, you know, fair enough for them. Like they they have gone through an unholy mess of injuries this year, but I'm like, where is OJ Howard? If you're desperately looking for targets, it looks like OJ Howard hasn't really played since November. So I don't know if he's injured yeah. or not on is their just-
0: offense, but I would also say Richard Sherman. I just saw one on the season ending IR. So that's a shot yeah. to Their defensive secondary.
1: Yeah. I think them getting Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy bunting back alleviated a lot of the problems that they had early in the season, where we're like, oh my God, you just can't stop anyone. You know, Jalen Hurts isn't necessarily a high flying passing attack because he also has one of the worst completion percentages in the NFL among qualified starters this year. So that's not going to be something they exploit there. The only way that the Buccaneers have a chance of losing is if Tom Brady throws three interceptions. And you say there's no chance that's going to happen, but Tom Brady through five interceptions in the playoffs last year. So it's entirely possible that Tom Brady does do some dumb shit, but that's the only way this game doesn't go to Tampa Bay. Tampa's going to win. Gronk's probably going to have a bunch of catches because now Gronk's one of the de facto wide receiver ones. Uh, I used to make jokes for years that Mike Evans was always just wide receiver seven in fantasy football. So that Mike Evans just exists to be wide receiver seven. He's gone eight straight years with a thousand yards and I'm looking at it like, oh, Mike Evans might be a hall of famer. We can start having that conversation Definitely hall of
0: famer no he, doubt he's a hall
1: of famer he's got numbers that kind of back up these like one of these fringe guys but I've never thought of Mike Evans as like one of the best wide receivers in the NFL I've always thought of him as like a second group of guys just consistently very very good it also explains the Johnny Manziel thing a lot better now that we know Mike Evans is a hall of fame level wide receiver and also looks a little bit like Juju do the side by side of Mike Evans and Juju it's it's quite funny to look at it so yeah I, I think the the Buccaneers are going to be fine. They still have two Hall of Fame weapons that Tom Brady can throw to. And just a, a Tyler Johnson over here, who I actually think is really good. Like the, we, we don't talk about Tyler Johnson a lot. If he were on another team, he'd probably be a wide receiver too on some of these really bad teams in the NFL. Like Tyler Johnson's like the sixth best player in the Bucks receiving core. And he might be a top 60 wide receiver in the NFL or top 60 target in the NFL. So I think he, he can have a more integral part Part of the offense, possibly. He can be like their Alan Lazard for the next couple weeks. That's about all I can do on Tampa analysis. Tampa is going to win the game. It's on at 10 o'clock on a Sunday. So I guess we're used to watching football at this time. But if you really do want to watch Steelers and Chiefs, this might be the game that you skip this weekend if you need a break from the NFL action.
0: Yeah, pretty much on the Sunday, it's looking like the afternoon game might be the only redeemable one at this current juncture in time. But who knows? It could be a surprise. There's playoff magic in the air. Stuff has... Obviously, we didn't expect Taylor Heineke to give the Buccaneers as much of a game as he did, and that ended up being an exciting thing that gave Taylor Heineke more NFL years than he's probably worth.
1: Yeah. And the thing that I point to all the time with the Bucks defense is like, yeah, it might be the best rush de- over the last two years might be the best rush defense we've seen in the NFL in the last 10 years. But also Antonio Gibson ran at will on them in the, in the regular season this year. So maybe there's hope that something falls apart here. By the way, I said this as a throwaway line, but I can't get away from the fact that you look exactly like Mike Evans. It's really kind of freaky how that I look at it right now. Your face looks just like Mike Evans with the, the thick beard there the widow's peak coming in a little bit right there like uh, you, you got some Mike Evans vibes on you
0: now see the problem is I don't have Mike Evans vertical his height his reach advantage like uh, if you put something on that other side of that room I'm not able to just grab it like he is out of the air like he's just picking like was it a duck egg is what they called it like whenever you just grab like a ball so perfectly but yeah, yeah no I thank you thank you I will take that as I don't know if it was an insult or a compliment when I called you uh, Andrew Luck lookalike as as a couple days ago. We both, I guess, yeah. have some NFL doppelgangers here.
1: I've got an Andrew Luck impersonation in there. So if I can ever be half the man Andrew Luck is, I think I would be I would be happy as a human being. Boo,
0: boo, boo. No,
1: no, no. Boo. Entitled fans. All of you Colts fans. God punished you by giving you the Carson Wentz experience. Double boo, boo, boo. Boo, boo. That's another thing.
0: <laughs> Andrew Luck had to retire because he had one too many boo-boos.
1: Oh no, not head injury <laughs> jokes, not concussion jokes and shoulder that was injury. was not jokes. a
0: concussion joke, that was a dabbed spleen joke. Then he experienced no, that injury. No, stabbed
1: spleen was one of them, but also botched shoulder surgery. That is another thing that happened. I can't believe we don't talk about enough. He had literally botched shoulder surgery.
0: Was Ryan Grixon the surgeon?
1: I don't know, but apparently it was just like usually we hear like underwent successful surgery, you'll be back in 6 months. They were like the surgery was unsuccessful. It's like what? <laughs> I thought modern medicine had evolved to the point where surgeries were like, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, the oh. surgery didn't work.
0: <laughs> you want know, talk about like bad medical staffs? Not to throw Washington under the bus more than they already are as a franchise, but I was hearing that they were having a shortage of team doctors or medical staff at one point during this season. And obviously Washington tends to have a uptick in injuries. I don't know if it's just bad luck or what, but they again do tend she- to be one of the most injured teams in the National Football League over the last decade.
1: Trent Williams, who is a first ballot Hall of Fame left tackle, and I heard uh, uh, Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus say he would give Trent Williams the MVP this year because Trent Williams is so far ahead of the competition at left tackle. Did you
0: see his PFF grade? 98.6. Trent Williams is insane. And again,
1: he sat out a full season because he did not trust the Washington medical staff. They misdiagnosed his cancer and he sat out a whole season in his prime. We do not talk about this enough because it's like the 18th most ridiculous thing happening with the Washington football team. Uh, A first ballot Hall of Fame left tackle sat out an entire season because they misdiagnosed cancer in his his body. Like it's insane.
0: (laughs) No disputes here. No disputes here. That's just bad. And whenever Kyle Shanahan or Trent Williams or anyone talks about their Washington experience, that's why they don't tend to give glowing five-star reviews.
1: RG3 is writing a book, Surviving Washington. It comes out in August of this year. Not that he needs promo for the book, but I'm really excited to read that book because he's doing like an in-depth of like what happens in the Washington football team. I'm super excited for that.
0: The only thing with that book, I wonder is if he is he going to add any new information? Am I going to learn something that I don't already know about Washington because I already feel like I know a lot.
1: I don't know. I've only seen the one video of him promoting it where he talked about how he was sexually harassed while working in the Washington football organization. But I don't know any of the other details in the book yet because it seems like the book is still kind of in process right now. But I'm very excited to read it because the fact that we have someone willing to put their name on it as high profile as RG3, I find to be really, really fascinating.
0: Hasn't there been a lot of people that have been putting their name behind Washington slander though?
1: Yes, absolutely. in fact, I believe it was 36 women in the Washington Post article that people should read because it is quite fascinating. But absolutely, there are a lot of people putting their name behind it. And also not enough because Dan Snyder is still the owner of the team. So not enough. No, no, no. his
0: wife is. Behind. Come on. Didn't you read the memo?
1: Yeah. I, I we love need the... to get you a
0: copy of the memo.
1: This is amazing thing. I I was listening to someone explain this. They're basically like they basically just turn the team on autopilot. Like I'm like, how do you do that? They're like, the franchise is basically just on autopilot. Dan Snyder doesn't show up to owner's meetings, So his wife shows up. It's like, wow, I didn't know you could do that. But they still suck anyways.
0: Washington's in their off season. That's a great podcast for some off season conversation. But we still do have one more game. We do have one more trilogy in here. We have the... Arizona Cardinals going into Los Angeles to face the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are four point favorites on this Monday night football game. So I guess you were wrong. It is not the AFC South representing this ESPN Monday night game. It is going to be the NFC West, arguably the well, best division in football against the Monday night football game. That's kind here's of Here's
1: the thing though, that the streak still continues because there is no AFC South team playing this weekend. Colts missed the playoffs and the Titans are for some forsaken reason, the one seed. So there are no AFC South teams playing and ESPN had to default to I guess Cardinals and Rams which is actually a pretty damn good game to
0: have I hate that you're making me defend the Titans as much by the way I hate that you're making me do that that's for next week we'll have a much more knockdown drag out conversation next week on the Tennessee Titans for now let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals as I have the producer of the Red Reigns podcast with Walter Mitchell on to talk Kyle Ledbetter, my esteemed co-host. This is the third time they're going at it. The last time they played, it was that Monday night thriller. Cardinals in the last few weeks, what, four out of the last five to close the season they've lost? They are a shell of the team that started the season. How are they going to recover or are they going to recover against the Los Angeles Rams?
1: Well, there's an easy explanation for all of this with the Arizona Cardinals, which is if they don't lose to the Detroit Lions, they're the three seed in the NFC playoffs. Like, it's just as simple as that for Arizona. Arizona was like, what happened to the Cardinals at the end? Well, they lost to Detroit. And that just kind of messed up all the math on doing the analysis here. It's why Buffalo's the three seed instead of the one seed in the AFC. It's like, well, they lost to the Jaguars. Doesn't make sense, but it happened. So yeah, that's just what happened. Uh, The Arizona Cardinals thing is just injuries. Um, The Arizona Cardinals didn't have a lot of depth coming into the season. It's a lot of Dennis Gardex and Jalen Thompson's running around at this point in the season. And they just had like an apocalyptic hellscape of injuries. And Cardinals fans are pissed about it too. Like Cardinals fans are really, really going after the idea of we didn't belong in the playoffs. This team keeps folding at the end of the season. I'm like, well, it's easy to explain. DeAndre Hopkins has been gone for two months. JJ Watts been gone since week seven. Both of their offensive guards who weren't that great to start the year have been injured. Rodney Hudson missed eight games during the season, and he was supposed to be the guy who revamps that offensive line. Max Williams has been gone since about week four. And he was an awesome tight end. Yeah, they brought in Zach Ertz, but that hasn't really worked out the way they hoped it would. He's a fine player, but hasn't worked out the way they Hoped it would with bringing in Ertz to replace him. They've had Robert Alford is now gone. Uh, I think he's not going to play this week, but he's been gone during this losing stretch that they've had. They lost Malcolm Butler at the start of the year because Malcolm Butler just basically said, "I can't do this anymore" in a really shocking, bizarre way to walk out. And they, they already didn't have a great secondary before that, but the secondary like ridiculously overachieved at the start of the year, and then they came back down to earth once they lost Alford, and <laughs> they realized that uh, Byron Murphy is not a true number one corner, even though he was playing pro football focus grade, like a number one corner for the first few weeks of the season, Arizona just had a hellscape of injuries. And they also got really, really lucky in starting nine and zero. they probably should have started seven and two, but they just happened to start nine and zero, and that kind of changed the expectation bar because they had a better record than the Packers going into that apocalyptic Thursday night football game. They played where AJ green didn't turn around. And I thought that they called timeout because I was listening to the game on mute so that's your explanation for the Cardinals it's just an apocalyptic hellscape of injuries that is the reason that they're now the five seed in the NFC and probably weren't better than the Seahawks on Sunday Seahawks were probably a better team than them not just a weird result like Seahawks just outplayed them
0: well that's disappointing to hear when you talk about a team in the playoffs being a worse team than the Seattle Seahawks who finished with six wins this season I think seven wins seven wins, seven
1: wins and they also lost to the Bears in there so that's eight and Russell Wilson missed six games. So the Seahawks probably should have been the seven seed instead of the Eagles. If Russell Wilson just doesn't miss six games, they're probably the seven seed instead of the Eagles in the NFC. It's not like it's that awful
0: of a team in Seattle, but still they're not a playoff team and the Cardinals are, and the Cardinals are going into this game against the Rams who are a playoff team as well. And the Rams, although they're coming off a loss, it's hard to read too much into that loss, mostly because I do factor in the opponent and I'm not getting cocky when I say this, but the Niners own the Rams. It is what it is. We're talking about six straight victories for the 49ers over the Los Angeles Rams. It's just a bad matchup. And they always talk about styles make fights. Whenever the Niners and the Rams go together, the fight tends to favor the 49ers going against the Cardinals. though, this was a split matchup early in the year. And in the first one, the Cardinals ran away with it. The Cardinals ran away with it because Matthew Stafford was throwing some bad interceptions. And what was the difference when they played last time on, Monday night football game was that Matthew Stafford was phenomenal. Matthew Stafford, 23 for 30, three touchdowns, hitting Cooper Cup on big plays. Got Odell Beckham Jr. involved, I believe, in that game as well. The Rams offense played mistake free football. And that was the difference. Whereas if you look at the Cardinals, obviously Kyler Murray had a couple picks. So the turnover battle is going to be the biggest point of contention to who's going to win this game. And it's hard to say who you would bet on more to turn over the ball because again, Kyler Murray during this stretch, I feel has been asked to do more and to try and force more throws, especially when he mentioned D. has not been on the field. And that's led to some interceptions on his behalf. But Matthew Stanley. Stafford and I think a lot of Rams Twitter a lot of Rams fans are trying their best to try and explain this explaining his turnovers is hard because there's no earthly reason why he should be making these mistakes because some of these are rookie level mistakes that a 10 year plus veteran should not be making at this point in their NFL career and this is when Lions fans that kind of warned you about Matthew Stafford feel a little bit more vindicated seeing that Matthew Stafford is still making mistakes that cost their franchise over multiple years except he's doing it on a better team and with higher stakes on the line. This is Matthew Stafford's biggest game. I can't name a, even a close second and Matthew Stafford I think if you really go through his career has probably played less than 10 big games in his entire career. Mostly because the Lions have just been out of playoff contention the majority of his time there. He, he
1: did play in three playoff games. You know yes. he was he was but up
0: again, 10 points than, against the Cowboys. Less than 10. I'm saying less than 10 big games in his career. You would say the three playoff games he's had maybe last week against the Niners because they didn't know that the Seahawks were going to beat the Cardinals. So the division was on the line, and he still came up short. Because, again, they didn't know what the game result was going to be, and he came up short against the 49ers. He threw an interception at the end, that ended the game. His other interception led to a scoring drive. And you talk about the pick sixes. Going into last week's game, we were saying he had five interceptions and 53 dropbacks. I can only assume that number is somewhere around seven in the last 80, given the Niners game game factored into that. Not a math scholar here, but I can... if we kind of calibrate that one, which Matthew Stafford are we going to get? And I, I don't know if I feel confident dating going into it. Who do I have more faith in? I think the coaching also aspect. And I'm going to say, I believe in McVay more than I believe in Kingsbury. And I think that's why I'm going to go with the Rams in this game.
1: So here's the interesting thing I believe about this game, regardless of which Stafford shows up, the Rams can still win in this game, regardless of which Stafford shows up, the Rams can still win the game no matter what. Now Kyler Murray might do some God shit because Kyler Murray can do that every now and then he doesn't do it as often as say like Aaron Rodgers, but Kyler Murray's like undoubtedly already one of the nine best quarterbacks in the NFL, like easily top 10 because the 10 cutoff point is like Joe Burrow and Kyler Murray's better than Joe Burrow. I know Joe Burrow's awesome. Like it's not an indictment of Joe Burrow. It's just Kyler Murray's like freaking awesome at quarterback. Kyler might do some God shit, but again, his team is probably like a fringe playoff team as currently constructed. Like with all the injuries that have gone on, DeAndre Hopkins probably not going to play because he had surgery on a torn MCL six weeks ago. It's insane that we're even talking about him playing. It's insane that we're even talking about JJ Watt playing in this game. Like it's just the Cardinals do doing everything they can to stay afloat. So like Kyler could do some God shit and like, it'll be Stafford has to be perfect to win, but more likely than not. And that's kind of what we're doing here. I could see a scenario where Kyler does God shit and Jalen Ramsey gets burnt by AJ Green. I don't know. It's hard to say it out loud, but it's impo- It's possible. It's not like it's the Eagles game where it's a foregone conclusion. They're going to lose. And the only way they lose is if the, the Buccaneers just have an apocalyptically terrible game. The Rams could make mistakes and the Cardinals still win the Rams could do things almost perfectly and the Cardinals could still win, like if Kyler Murray does some god shit, but they can get away with Stafford making mistakes and still win this game. And that's just because of the opponent they're playing. Now, if they win this game and they have to go on the road to Lambeau next week, then Stafford has to play a damn near perfect game to even have a chance of winning the game because Stafford could play perfect and they still lose to the Green Bay Packers. But this week they can get away with it and it's why they're four point favorites. And it's why I'm taking the Los Angeles Rams, even if this is a St. Louis Rams helmet I have in my hands I am taking the Rams to win because the Rams are simply a better team than the Arizona Cardinals not in the same way that the Eagles are a better team than the Bucks but in a way that the Arizona Cardinals just too many injuries to overcome this year similarly it's like diet Baltimore basically it's like Baltimore if Lamar Jackson had stayed healthy is what's happening with the Arizona Cardinals just no depth key players getting hurt across the board just really bad luck for Arizona but they're still in the playoffs because they have Kyler Murray and
0: one at this point is J.J. Watt just being held together by like bubblegum and staples
1: dude it's something like J.J. Watt I assume he's getting like some of that Captain America serum at a certain point like I just don't understand that part of it for J.J. Watt that dude is just a he is just more of a man than I like J.J. Watt is just more of a man than I at that point like that that dude is an insane person and J- yeah also it's, might be held together by staples and bubblegum
0: more impressive peak J.J. or TJ.
1: Oh, JJ. JJ won three defensive player of the years. I'm going to go JJ.
0: Plus two, he also played tight end for a few snaps and caught a few touchdowns. Yeah. So got to give him a little bit of edge there. unless I see TJ Watt lining up outside, I can't really mark him above JJ like, just quite yet.
1: They're all great. Like I'm not going to do the denying greatness thing, but like JJ Watt was undoubtedly greatest player of his generation. Like that dude was just absolutely insane for five years. TJ Watt is amazing, might be the best player, but also Miles Garrett might be better than him. In Aaron Donald might be better than him. So it's nitpicking, but JJ Watt at his peak was just a, another, like, again, I'm I'm 20, so I only have so much perspective, but at the time, the greatest thing I'd ever seen on the defensive side of the ball.
0: You know, I actually have a funny little story about that just now. So I made a tweet last night and I got a decent little following of Niners Twitter behind me. So when it comes down to it, like um, sometimes every now and then I'll have a tweet pop off. Well, this one was in regards to, you can appreciate Jimmy Garoppolo a little bit more when you saw Sean Hill play, it was along those lines. And I had so many people come, oh, but you know, like Montana, oh, but you know, like Young. Listen, I'm comparing based off of what I got to see of Niners football. What I got to see was not Montana Young, what I got to see was JTO Sullivan, Trent Dilfer. Ryan Hoyer, Lane Gabbard. 49ers Chris haven't Winky. been a
1: model franchise, but they've also, things have always worked out for them because they at least have competent ownership.
0: Eh, Jed, eh, sometimes. They're competent, sometimes. it can
1: be a lot worse. Like it's not great, <laughs> but it can be a whole lot worse for the 49ers.
0: See, I preferred when the Niners were mob owned but under Eddie Debartolo. That way they could just pay people <laughs> under the table <laughs> until yeah, the NFL caught on.
1: Yeah, the NFL caught on and basically forced him to move his. T- I think he lives in like Montana now. It's like super weird. It's like, yeah, he just kind of vanished after all that, you know, connection to the mob and breaking NFL rules for all these years. Like, yeah, just kind of disappeared after that.
0: Come on, Jed. Come on. Where where's this like uh you know, a little like a uh, capiche, you know? I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, come a, a little, on. That's a, a not under the table. Uh, just, you know, it might be. To the it might cap. be going on. I don't know. Might be now, going on. Na- no, now they're in Santa Clara and I don't know. They're not even in San Francisco anymore. Apparently, they're like an hour away from. Yeah, Santa Clara is not
1: close. Like, I'm two hours away from San Francisco. Santa Clara is like three hours from where I am. Like, Santa Clara is not actually that close to San Francisco.
0: <laughs> now it's just a bunch of Silicon Valley elites. Long gone are the blue collar days of San Francisco 49ers football. Oh wow. Yes,
1: you are correct. Back in the 1960s, when we could smoke inside the stadiums, back when football was football and men were men. Yes, the San Francisco 49ers were winning championships. Now it's a whole lot of Sean Hill and a whole lot of
0: Blaine Gabbard. Can I get a bacon sandwich wrapped in cigarettes? Absolutely. Yeah. Sir. I'll have that right Absolutely. for you right away. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: Can you actually just put some uh, big league chew on the side too?
1: Yeah, back then you could bring your own beer into the stadium. They're just like, whatever, <laughs> we're fine with that. Bring guns into the stadium too. That was a thing that used to exist until like the 1980s.
0: How it might have existed when the Niners and Raiders used to play each other in preseason. That's why that game had to get suspended.
1: Yeah, that's usually how those things go. Yeah, and this is this, these were the times. We, we the world was weird before we were born. This is the classic uh, Cowboys syndrome too, where Kyla Murray's like didn't root for the Cowboys. They were always ass. It's like, yeah. New, New York we, Knicks,
0: we, that's a great example. because New York I, Knicks they, are a
1: great one too. We've never seen the New York Knicks be good at yeah, football. No, Miami no, Dolphins every, used to be the winningest franchise in the history of
0: football. Every mainstream pundit I see is just touting the Knicks. And for the life of me, I don't get it because I, I haven't seen it. That's just my You get it when you hear Hughes.
1: people talk about it in New York because New York is a city that has like 15 million people. And that's like the size of like Sacramento. Meadow times seven, but 15 million people only have one NBA team in the area. Yes, Brooklyn's there now, but that's only like within the last five years, six years, something like that. But you can
0: make an argument, at least Brooklyn. I know they had their run to the NBA finals in the 2000s. And then of course they made the big Paul Pierce, mean- Kevin Garnett trade, which was aged horrible. You mean
1: New Jersey? That was oh, New that Jersey is- back then. That was New Jersey, not not Brooklyn. That was New Jersey that did that.
0: Fair enough, but that might cause a lawsuit. <laughs> As we saw because the Giants were out there getting sued for being the New Jersey Giants or the New Jersey Jets.
1: That's the the reason for it with the Knicks. If you've ever seen it through these 20 years, Knicks tickets have always been the most expensive tickets in the NBA because no matter how crap that team is, everyone's going to pay to go to those games. Same thing with the Lakers when they were terrible for the last decade. It's like there is no incentive to change. Yeah, you'd like to be good, but James Dolan is just going to meddle as much as he wants because why not? Like you can. It's 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 still going to work out. So, the reason that it's a Knicks thing is cuz the Knicks still have the largest fan base in the NBA only because of the territory they reside. I think the Lakers are probably first, but they're probably two behind the Lakers just because of the territory they reside in that area.
0: Well, for any New York Knicks fans that are listening, I encourage you to seek help. Get out of your abusive relationship now because it's not going to get any better for the next You can
1: get off that narcotic. Let me tell you, I am a great example of this. 5 years ago today, 5 years ago today, the law Los Angeles Chargers left San Diego. And you know what? Five years later, I am a much better human being for it. You can get off that narcotic too. If you are a Falcons fan, you got Georgia, you got the Braves. There's no reason to watch an Atlanta Falcons game ever again. For what? What are they going to give you that you can't get from these other teams that just delivered you championships? There's no reason to ever watch another Atlanta Falcons game. Detroit Lions fans at this point, you know what you're signing up for. You know what it is at this point. You know what the game is. Broncos fans at least you can hope that your franchise is going to get a new owner in the coming years so that maybe it works out but who knows maybe your owner will be like teppers and run the franchise into the ground some more you can get off the narcotic you can get off that narcotic people look at me I have a podcast I have wonderful friends a wonderful life more balance and stability and I don't have to watch Chargers football for three hours every Sunday you can get off that narcotic people there is hope on the other side it might be difficult now give it time it'll it'll get much easier because then that team that you're trying to stop rooting for will have a really really terrible heartbreaking loss where Brandon Staley calls time out instead of letting the Raiders kneel it out and you will remember why you got off that narcotic you will you will be able to laugh at that and say I'm so glad I'm not part of that and it'll make it just a little bit easier
0: that is excellent closing thoughts of this podcast get out of your toxic sports relationships guys all right but start a new relationship with the slump buster podcast by hitting that subscribe button leaving a like on this video commenting below your opinions your thoughts some input on the podcast we'd love to hear back from you guys five star reviews galore at slump pod on twitter at slump podcast on ig at slump pod on tiktok if you care to follow us there not enough dances but some memes occasionally from Gigi's Sports, from Kyle Ledbetter, stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we will see you next time.